Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Matt May, Head of Inclusive Design for Adobe. We talked to Matt about access, inclusion and exclusion in technology design through the lens of his work in this space. We cover topics such as what it is and how to start building inclusive design, how to scale inclusivity at a corporate level, the connection between inclusion, ethics and trust the difference between inclusion and compliance. We also talk about how he uses research to support his work. And lastly, we cover privilege and allyship in the technology space. We hope you enjoy it. We are here today with Matt May from Adobe, Head of Inclusive Design for Adobe. Hi, Matt. Hi, how are you doing? Very, very good. I'm uh, full of energy after an hour in the gym and my coffee. So... (laughs) I need to kind of like lower my volume a bit. Um, That's cool. We'll balance each other out because I'm in uh, I'm in the last few hours of my Friday. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll we'll do that. Well, um, Matt, before we dive into the, the the topic of the wonderful topic of inclusion and technology, um, I want us to I want you to tell us and our listeners a bit about your own career path with um, technology and inclusion, and maybe we c- you could start by defining what inclusion is to you personally. Sure. I, I guess the to, to borrow from from something I, I, I wrote a few a few weeks ago to, to talk about inclusion is is to speak in a in a way that is like the second half of a sentence. You talk about inclusion because exclusion is the norm. And we see that sort of in every aspect of technology from the, the user interface to, uh, you know, to hiring practices to just decision making that goes into the products that we that we create on a, on a regular basis, how we test users, how, how we ask for feedback, all of those things have have aspects of inclusion or exclusion, depending on what access you're looking at. So my role at Adobe is is basically to to find those those instances of bias, uh, whether they're you know explicit or implicit, uh, and come up with a way to systematically eradicate that from uh, you know from the equation wherever I have the opportunity. Mm-hmm. From my background. Um, I guess we can get into we can get into that, but from from my background from accessibility, you know, uh, the 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 concept of disability is is something that that jumps up because it's almost always one area where people are actively being uh, excluded and in very solid barriers uh, to, to 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 access. Um, but my my role at Adobe includes talking about the same kinds of, of, of exclusion along lines of race, gender, sexual identity, economic status, anywhere that we are the ones that are even unconsciously raising barriers that don't need to be there. Mm. And how did you come to have this interest in this topic? So this actually kind of takes me back to my the beginning of my career as an engineer. Um, I was a web developer 
in the mid '90s. So I, I, I was I was there more or less when like my first HTML book was like 95 pages long. So <laughs> it was and it was a chapter and verse recitation of every element like down to like the DFN element for definitions and things. Like, so like really uh, like ancient uh, material. You know, at the time, that was sort of 90, 95-ish. Uh, at, at the time, sort of colleagues that I ended up working with later in my in, in my career were already coming up with, uh, one of them was called the Homepage Accessibility Guidelines for to give you some kind of flavor of how long ago it was. Um, but we were working at it from the, you know, from the side of corporate website with maybe a little bit of JavaScript because that was just in the process of like being invented and coming on the scene. So we fast forward, I was working for an online grocer in the late nineties, so called homegrocer.com crash destroyed the entire, you know, the, the entire industry really. But we started getting calls from people saying like, Hey, it's really nice that you're making it easier for sort of the suburban household to buy their groceries and, and everything. And let me tell you what my experience is for, for buying groceries. Like I call the local supermarket. I tell them what I need. They open their paper catalog and they tell me what they have, you know, and, and then they will go and pick from the supermarket aisles what you know what's what's available and then i get into the you know i live in seattle it's a big city so we have uh you know we have the an access shuttle so uh you can call the shuttle picks you up on a certain schedule uh in and so so i call the access shuttle the access shuttle takes me to the you know to to the supermarket i pay them for the groceries plus the packing fee and i come home and i do my own work so what you're doing you know what you're doing for people to to do a shop in like 10 or 15 minutes takes me maybe three or four hours out of my day just to just to do this so so that for me was like the moment where the light came on where you're like there's there's this aspect of like we were we were dealing in a business where we were trying to shave minutes off of somebody's day right that we're just trying to get like an, a little extra time and, and improve the quality of their life and if we were looking at it through the lens of disability we were talking about enabling wide swaths of, uh, of of someone's day like that that's life enabling technology uh, when you start thinking of, about the people who can actually benefit from it most um, and once you see that you don't unsee it right the, that just continues to be the uh, you know the the, the thing that the, the, that's in the back of your head like who is going to benefit from this the most like how can we use all of this technology, all of you know, all of this CPU power, all of this bandwidth, all of these you know peripherals like cameras and things like that to to be transformative. Like instead of just rent seeking or finding like just these little optimizations for for, for the things that we're. You were mentioning earlier that um, exclusion is the norm, right? And you can't look at inclusion without looking at exclusion. So how do you decide which areas you want to focus on to make them inclusive? I think, you know, for, first off, the, there's, there's an idea, the, the, you know, the, the concept of starting with what you, what you know and what you've experienced, uh, you know, that, that the, next, the next project that I jump into is not 
my first, right? Like I, I've, I've already, I've learned a lot of ways that, that the projects go wrong. And so we, I think in the, in the area of inclusion, we all have kinds of, of, of best practices or patterns that or anti-patterns that we've, that, that we've recognized. Uh, and I think that as time goes on, we, those things sort of turn into policies or, we build architectural constraints into the things that we that, that we build from. So when I when I go into to, to a product team, one of the one of the easiest things for me to to look at is how it intersects with disability, mm-hmm. uh, because there are concrete, well documented, I mean, policies and laws like the, the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines that give you like the the boundaries mm-hmm. right like beyond this you have you have you have failed in a very concrete way it's also a way to uh, you know to express to designers and engineers and product managers why this is why this is important um, there's this story about van halen mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you if you've heard this story before but the they said the rule was like on the rider for Van Halen's contract, uh, like David Lee Roth had put in that he wanted, like he wanted M and M's, but he only wanted like one color of M and M's or one color taken out. It was this absurd, like sort of rock star kind of, uh, you know, kind of story. And because if he walked into his the, into the green room and he saw that they hadn't done that, he would just trash the place. And that was kind of his reputation. And later on, he said, like, the reason that I did that was if they didn't read that, then how can I trust them to build a stage that I'm not going to fall through? Like that, it, it's if you're not paying attention to these kinds of details, you're going to make far bigger errors uh, that are going to be just sort of swept under the covers. Yeah. So accessibility, you know, the, the designing for and and with disability in mind is a way for us to have some kind of structure to the way that we do this. That it isn't just like, hey, let's just let's just make it faster and add more features and things like that. But but find out what is the right way for us to express this kind of interface. Yeah. So. We basically start from that because the tools exist for it. There are there are well-defined markers for for our progress. There are ways that we can that, that we can test this in all different scenarios, um, and it it really is kind of oriented toward the design and development of uh, of uh, of a product in in general. The other areas where we're we're focusing on on inclusion have to do with the human aspect of developing products so like machine learning and artificial intelligence uh, you know we have these ideas that you know i have i have somebody that's uh, been working in uh, ai and machine learning uh, you know has a phd and has been telling me all of these details that are just like shocking to me like that the um, like genome research is still built around basically an able bodied 20 something white male yeah. right like that that the, and and that when another like when someone from another race like is introduced into the into this this data set like what they do is just sort of find the differences in their in their dna from the from, from the white male and that the lazier researchers just 
ignore that data because it's it's more difficult to to deal with than to you know like than than they than they want um and so like basically that's sort of the the end result is sort of like a eugenics but in digital form right we're still only learning things about you know white males and to, to the detriment of everyone else those things happen in software all the time, right? Like we, we do user testing, but we do it in, you know, like in our neighborhood, we don't control for uh, a balance of genders, a balance of races, you know? So we have these like, uh, for all of this new technology, all this great stuff that we that, that could theoretically be empowering to to everyone, we're still sort of introducing bias in into it just by our our own neglect. Then there comes down to it comes down to things like um, things as simple as like filling out a form online. A lot of the time, I mean, we are getting a lot more casual about sort of how we address people on uh, online so we'll talk you know used to be like 30 years ago it would always be like mr mrs ms you know like you know I've, I've said this before like the the why does like cat fancy magazine need to know what your gender is right <laughs> why do why because the, you know gender is something that is that culturally is shifting in a great number of directions and uh and from culture to culture they've you know some of them have already it's 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 like not even discussed that there that there are more than two so we have reached this point where why do we why do we need to potentially offend a, a, a proportion of our of our user base by asking them for their gender if we're if we're never going to use it for anything and a lot of the time they're just like the only reason that an organization is capturing that data is because they want to use it for analytics purposes and it's this shallow little data point that just reinforces a, a gender binary and also kind of has this sexist aspect of uh, of women do this and and men do that and and, yeah. you know, it's, it's those little things where you go into a meeting, you see that this thing is there and you go like, hey, why did we do that? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and you know, just to have like somebody say like, uh, do you know, what? <laughs> I want to share a story of mine. I normally don't do this, but I think it really fits here. I was in a, in a meeting on a project in the fintech sector and we were sitting in a room um, which were all men. I was the only woman there. And they were discussing how the um, avatar should look like for a virtual assistant that would take you through your loan application. And yeah. they were all saying, oh, so we have to, she needs to be trustworthy. So she needs to be like tall and blonde and, um, you know, because women in general are seen as being better with finances. So we just, we, we need to make her look like that. Uh, and it needs to be a woman necessarily because men are not trustworthy when it comes to their finances. And I was sitting there um, and I asked her, you know, how many of your users are men? And they're like, no, around 35% rest are women. So would women have the same perception about who they would want them guide, guiding them through an application process? And there was this huge silence in the room. Um, right. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's, in, it's incredible how, um, you know, how much our own bias comes up into the conversation all the time. How, how do you manage to gently call it out or maybe not even call it out, but make it like a positive point of conversation? So, um, I have a couple of advantages in this department. Number one, I, I do what it says on the tin. Like I am the head of inclusive design, right? It is my job to, to introduce, 
you know these you know th- th- these kinds of questions and, and and sort of demand an answer when the you know when when I'm not really sort of happy with the way that it that it is right now. Um, the other one is that I am a you know cisgender heterosexual white male in North America, uh, and I don't really have to worry so much about stepping on people's toes in these in these kinds of environments and that's just uh, i mean that is something that i that, that i have to calculate into in, into all of this as well like how many people in this situation are going to be able to do that i think that there is room for for people from you know, higher levels of privilege to be calling out something as privilege because we are the ones that end up in these in these rooms where where we are more likely to hear people being biased. You know, they're being racist or classist or you know ableist, and it's just as much our responsibility to to be doing it. Uh, so if I if I have any advantage in in just being able to like call things out as I as I see them. Then so be it. So I, I get to be loud. That's the, the that's that's the main advantage. Yeah. How do you have specific areas of bias, especially when it comes to the machine learning part that that you at Adobe focus on to kind of call out or remove um, as you go through with projects? Yeah. This is this is something that just this week uh, Google published published like sort of a one pager on like their AI ethics and what they're going to do and what they're what they're not going to do um, for. Us right now, the the things that that concern me have to do with using uh, AI and you know computer vision, right? So for for us at Adobe, we have this uh, like our system is called Sensei, and we're we're loading things into into the cloud. So things that were normal computational tasks that would go into a Photoshop, for example, uh, are now sort of put into this giant you know, graphics processor in the sky. And we have, we have a lot more that we can, that we can do when we, when we offload that. When you add machine learning into the equation, you end up with um, some, you know, like some of the, the unintended, but like really serious consequences that, you know, Google has experienced where human faces of a certain, of a certain color are recognized as non-human. And, you know, Denying someone their humanity um, is about as terrible a thing as you can do. And whether or not that is an entirely computer-generated thing, you should be horrified if that's if that's the outcome. So, what concerns me is making sure that that the data that we have is that that we input into these machine learning systems because that's how we get the. The results at the other end are as diverse as as they can be, and that includes various you know shades of skin, eye colors, uh, you know, hair, height, size, and the things that I think a lot of people sort of at first glance will will leave behind. Which is if you are trying to track somebody's face, right, and you are looking for markers on their face that are that, that are going to, to move, uh, that we understand that there are people that are born without one or both eyes, you know, that there, that, that there are all different kinds of, of, of configurations of, of someone's face. And uh, if you are 
trying to to build systems like that without accounting for that, then uh, you, you know you you create this absolute barrier to, to to someone being able to use it. So we're still learning what what it is that we that we need to do in these in these kinds of systems. But my approach is like I kind of want to defuse the bomb before it goes off right like that when we're when we're building these systems that that we are taking these things into a we're taking these into things into account uh, versus i you know i wake up some monday morning and find out that 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 you know a, a random project has like refused to acknowledge a, a set of humanity as being human do, do you have some metrics or systems that you use to kind of um, track the progress on these um, areas? That is one of the things that my organization is going to be working on. So the way that we're developing our, our, our product so far is, is, I mean, we don't have... We we have a, a lot of, of different projects that are in different levels of, uh, of development that are not really all using one specific piece that, that that I can focus on and say like we need to get this part right um, a lot of it is the product of of a ton of sort of original research and um, sort of as those systems like those systems will start to come together to become to, to make something larger right that's just the, the software development process and um, and, and I think that for for me right now in that in that research process, the best thing that, that I can do in the short term is just bring those questions to each individual, you know, project. Yeah. Uh, because it, first off, it gets them, it, it, it corrects things that might be happening right now. Uh, but in the longer term, they know I'm going to come back to them the next time, <laughs> right? So uh, they, they know that they're going to have to think about the, the same kinds of, um, you know, of, of problems in the, you know as they're going that it isn't just a you know that, that it isn't just a, a one-time event that this is a change to to like our organizational makeup is a it's a matter of the the ethics of the organization yeah. when we talk about uh, when i talk about accessibility and the standards that are involved in in that like the they exist because we know that the things are are reliably accurate for for all values of X, right? When we get into research, we start thinking, we start finding like new ways that we can break things. What we need is sort of a solid ethical viewpoint like mm -hmm. that we can that, that we can refer back to a set of core values for for things and then the people that are th th that are going out and and blazing a trail uh have that to 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 refer to yeah. i mean google's always had that don't be evil thing mm -hmm. do no harm but right? or was it yeah they, 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 it was originally don't be evil i think that was <laughs> they just changed that recently but don't be evil okay. was the was that and it's problematic in a lot of different ways, right? Because the, you know, it's it's an eye of the beholder. Um, I think that there were a lot of people that that were working at, at Google that were, um, you know, that, that were doing what they what they considered from their perspective to be to be good things that don't really square with sort of the external opinion of of that. Like we need something a little bit better than that when we're talking about design ethics, and and that's a subject that that I think is exploding right now, just because we're sort of encountering. Not just the power of the uh, of the new capabilities that, that that we have, but also 
how easily they can be taken in the wrong direction. Yeah. And, and where does this function of ethics sits within, within Adobe and within your work? We're, uh, from, I mean, for me, I think that uh, I would always want this to be something that I can refer back to, uh, I can just, where, where I can just say, this, these are the ethics of that. And that is also evolving. And there are active discussions going, going on within Adobe and then sort of within the design community and, you know, in tech in, in general around us. Um, we, we do need to, have, to, to find a, a place where we say we're not going to do that. Again, Google just had this uh, th this come up because they uh, were working on a project with uh, the Department of Defense that was you know th that that led to sort of a revolt among their their engineers and people like people actually quitting because they were doing things that were uh, offensive or that they were damaging to it. So we need to to express the, the those values and we're working on it. I don't think I can say much more than that. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, how do you work with research in this space? Like, what's, what's the kind of role that you think research plays in supporting some of the work that you do? This is uh, actually, I mean, I think your last three questions, you've, you've hit on like one meeting or more that I've had in the last week. So, um, you know, we, we have, you know, we're talking with, we have a, a design research organization and then we have like a larger like corporate research uh, the organization. And, um, you know, I, I think I look at things on, on a timeline of, 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 you know, there's the stuff that's happening like right now, right. That, that where it's, uh, it, it's, it's everywhere in the marketplace. Um, and it, and especially if there's, if there's one issue that sort of everybody has replicated because we never thought about it, um, you know, sort of the, the waterfall scenario, right. Where we've, 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 we've waited so long that it's going to be, you know, thousands of times harder to do than we, than if we had simply thought about it in the first place. And we look at things like, um, uh, VR, you know, augmented reality, mixed reality, uh, where all of these pieces that we've been talking about so far come, come together, right. Differences in humanity, whether it's, you know, uh, appearance, capabilities, heritage, you know, cultural and otherwise, like all of those, uh, all of those pieces like come to a head when you are in uh, a, an AR uh, or v, you know, AR VR kind of environment. So we, here we are sort of, you know, we're in a new territory without a map, right? Yeah. So what we know from the early days of the web was that, you know, we missed these pieces. And so the next time we come up with some kind of transformative technology, we need to be there at the very beginning. Uh, and we need to be asking questions about how we, uh, you know, how we're going to do this so that we can reach the greatest number of people possible. Um, and some of that is, is a matter of like increasing the access in terms of making it available at a reasonable price point, you know, making it available geographically, uh, you know, but, uh, but also what else can we do in terms of, um, you know, if you're deaf and you're in a, in a VR environment, how do we establish that, like the captions that are made for you? Because obviously we need to have the, the, the captions in, in that environment. 
how do we communicate that to you so that if you see a crowd of people that are like five feet off to your left and another crowd of people that are 20 feet off to your right, yeah. how do we, how do we communicate that these people are sort of within your range and those people aren't, but you know, like there, there are these kinds of questions where we don't have a good answer for it. So research is what, what bridges that gap. Yeah. We know that we're going to need to know that answer. But we uh, we can find that out in six months, or we can find it out in ten years after we've built, you know, yeah. eight or nine years worth of things that people actually use. Yeah. And what type of profile of a researcher are you guys looking at when you when you contemplate these kind of questions? I would say you know a, a background in. Uh, you know, human factors is 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 an easy is, is an easy match. Um, the, the the researchers that that I've worked with, I think, come from from various different backgrounds. Uh, like the head of design research came from a computer vision background, or from a, a, a I think maybe just a vision vision background. Um, so <laughs> we. I, I know this because I mentioned something to her about like a, a project that I wanted and she was like, <gasps> let's do that. And so um, nobody's going to know everything about everything. Right. You know, it, it would be nice if, you know, if we had like one of those TV PhDs where it was like, they, they knew everything about everything. Uh, house, like the, the, the person that, the, the person that somehow knows, 300 years worth of worth of research and and has it available at the, at the tip of their head but you know for an organization our size we sort of thrive on the diversity of of, of backgrounds and and voices and you know I, I think from from my experience in working with the with the researchers here uh, they like being able to have somebody that knows more than them about one thing or and you know or another um, and my place in this not coming from like a real academic background but coming from a from accessibility which is always kind of a we don't usually always have the resources that we that we want let's put it that way yeah you know to to have people like, like that that i can talk with and say um this is this is a positive. This is this is good. This is something that we can that, that we can share with the world if we if we get it right, uh, and sway them that way instead of saying this product is going to make us X million dollars in eighteen months. Right. So um, research is incredibly valuable in that in that area because it gives you this space to incubate something that um, you know that that can turn into you know, something, something even greater. Yeah. I think a lot of companies are actually using, uh, you know, are using disability, especially as a, as a bridge for like technologies that they don't really know what, it, what they can become in three to five years. Uh, but they focus it on to like onto people who, for whom 80% of what they want is a dramatic, you know, life-enhancing kind of uh, yeah. kind of improvement uh, and what they learn in that in that effort makes them uh, you know makes a better platform for for doing the kind of work that comes that comes further along the line I think Microsoft mm -hmm. especially is, uh, is, yeah. is is doing that they're the seeing AI yeah. soundscape like all of mm -hmm. the all of these these projects where they're they're doing what they can with computer vision uh, with 3d audio mm -hmm. 
uh, and and putting it in front of people in a way that's like really practical. Uh, I'll throw in Google because the like two weeks ago they they or they had uh, Google I/O and they have a lot of tools that are that, that are sort of working from that same kind of playbook. Yeah. I wanted to ask you also, what do you think is the connection between this work of inclusion and ethics and um, consumer trust? That's a good one. The way that I think about it is that we establish relationships with the the products that we use and the organizations that, that create them. So each, each time we're happy with something, it's like adding to the bank, but uh, each withdrawal is heavier than each. Uh, deposit right like <laughs> I, I so I think that there's that there's a certain point where we internally are keeping tabs of what the uh, you know what the value is of this uh, of this system that we're putting into it versus taking out so Facebook is a great example of that right like you have every connection that you know hasn't already turned off Facebook uh, you know, like in, in this system, right? That is their, their core value. But then you look at what they're doing with your, you know, with your privacy and, you know, the effects on uh, electoral politics or, mm-hmm. you know, in the, in the day-to-day lives of people. And each time you like each time there's a lapse of, of trust, um, you know, sort of that accrues to your connection to the, you know, to, to Facebook as a, as a company. Right. So I think they get that now because mm. like there's, you know, beyond just sort of the, the stock price kind of level of, uh, of, of analyzing the, the effects of trust on, uh, on Facebook, um, they're doing like TV ad campaigns saying effectively, we know we lost your trust and we're going to try to earn it back. Uh, but I think, you know, sort of the way that you put those two pieces together is, is, is telling, uh, because for, for every, for every case of Facebook, not really caring who you are in, in, in general, but selling your, your, your data anyway, you know, there, there are all of there, there are things that, that accrue, especially on racial lines. Um, there was a case where, um, Facebook data, if I, if I remember this correctly, data was basically being used to uh, effectively redline people from housing ads and things like that, which is illegal in the, like in the United States. Um, you know, there, there are issues where like trust is lost along all of the lines of inclusion that I was, that, that I was talking about yeah. before. There is representation in sort of advertising scenarios, uh, whether it's just sort of representation in the, like in the interface itself, like the things like the, like asking for, for, for gender or individual details of that. So there, there are all different kinds of ways that you can, that, that you can feel that this is not my place, yeah. right? That, that, that this, I don't feel comfortable in this, in, in this space. Um, and a lot of that I think gets translated as trust, but uh, some of it is more ha- has a greater impact than uh, the, than than the rest. Yeah. Uh, where where it, it is a matter of a, a especially if it's a conscious or semi conscious effort to exclude uh, to to exclude people, um, but not like actually tell them that that's what that that's what they're doing. Do you know of any um, company or activity where there is kind of this 
direct line drawn between, you know, acting ethical and inclusive or non-acting in that way, um, and that leading to loss in consumer base or loss in something that will tangibly kind of shake the organization, especially when they are focused on specific metrics. I, I can I can cite a bunch of different sort of lawsuits or uh, or legal settlements in the like in in disability on uh, along those lines. So uh, there are airlines, uh, supermarkets, places of business that where having failed to to meet the the legal requirements which you know for for us there's uh, the americans with disabilities act um there are similar at different levels kinds of uh, of legal requirements around the world uh, but i mean to be clear what these things are it, like they're the minimum right like the reason things become law isn't that we have that, that we as a city state nation federation uh have did have have determined that you do this and you're done right like laws happen when you're trying to establish a minimum Mm. right so that's not ethics that's law right like ethics is where is how you transcend like how you go above that how you reset the 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 bar how you how how you go to the like to the logical conclusion of the you know of of uh, of in, in my case inclusion right so so each of those cases in you know on on disability grounds is is a case where you know you have d- denied someone access yeah. um, you know even at a physical level like not providing a ramp into the to the mm-hmm. entrance of a of a building um, you know we have you know civil rights le- legislation along the like uh, along the, the the same lines as as well that that sort of cover you know, a, a number of, of different, uh, you know, aspects of humanity. Um, so the, what, what I think is happening right now is that we are, uh, in a lot of ways, not just seeing our own communities and that we all stand up for, for ourselves and that it's just one group that gets, that that gets angry. And then we, you know, like another group gets upset about something else, but we're all sort of starting to see the effect, the effects on one another. Um, that is, that, that to me is ethics. I mean, one, one of these things is just self-preservation. Uh, when you start to see exclusion happen to someone that doesn't look like you, uh, and, and you see that as a, as a as a wrong, I think that is that is when sort of ethical behavior is is yeah. is coming into your life. Um, so we see on a on a fairly regular basis people people saying like I'm fed up with the way that a, that that a big corporations are dealing with my data, yeah. uh, with with how uh, you know a Twitter, for example, uh, is. You know, suspending one group of users for, uh, you know, for threatening people's lives, and then, you know, suspending the, or or terminating the accounts of other of other users for actually, you know, firing back at, after being victimized. So, like the, you know, we we see those things on a like a, on a regular basis, and it's you know, that's one that where I think that there's that there's enough evidence to 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 say. 
something's wrong with that yeah. system. Yeah. Something's wrong with the with yeah. with the uh, you know the, the the management of the of that system when the you know when the people who are you know who are receiving death threats are are treated you know more harshly than the ones that are sending them. I have a question around um, how do you scale an ethical mindset at a corporate level? Oh, there are like eight different directions I can go with this. Uh, <laughs> so I, I think there's a piece in there that I want to that I want to tease out, which is sort of the quantification, if you will, of uh, of ethics. Like, how do you know that somebody has ethics enough, right? And what I think about in that is uh, like sort of an annual diversity statement. And we put these out, I mean, like the, the United States department of labor, it gets companies to, to produce data on their, you know, the, their diversity uh, metrics and, and things like that. Um, and the, you know, there are lots of different ways to, to look at that, at that information. What I have focused on has been the changing hearts and minds that, that I, I want to be talking with, with with somebody, especially somebody like that's that's an executive that has the ability to to drive change through the th- through the organization to hear what I'm saying about inclusion and respond in kind. That when I say when I say inclusion to somebody and they say compliance back to me, they're already they're they're already in the wrong mindset, right? Like compliance is, I have a, I have this heavy weight and I need to carry it over this line and then I can drop it, right? Like that, that is what, that is what compliance is. I know when I'm done. Uh, inclusion is a set of, of things that we, that, that we put in our backpack and we carry for, you know, as long as we're moving, right? That we, we, we always have to be to, to be coming back to this, and we always have to be to, to be evaluating it. Um, my concern with with the with, with the idea of like a, a scorecard uh, for the you know for mm. for an organizational ethics uh, is that when you create a game, people learn how to play the game, right? So if your value in the public sphere is connected to did you do this? Did you do this? Did you do this? Like checkboxes or ratings of the, of those systems, then people are going to go for the perception of doing the, of doing the right thing without actually doing the right thing. And you're kind of, you know, you, you get some gains of that, but if people don't actually care about doing this, and we know this from the accessibility world, because we've seen that sort of check mark, kind of uh, of accessibility um, then you you can end up creating almost as much of a mess as if you hadn't done anything at all so like i i spend a lot of uh, of my time trying to make people uncomfortable enough that they evaluate where they're coming from as they're as they're doing this but not so uncomfortable that they never want to talk with me again <laughs> So I'm, I'm, I'm working, uh, you know, I, I, I still feel like, you know, the best way to talk about humanity is to talk about it from a human perspective, right? That we need to better express our own, you know, our, our own differences mm-hmm. are you know, like the things that, that drive us. Like I, I couldn't say that, you know, I would want to be working in technology forever if it wasn't something where I felt like I could actually 
make life materially better for the people around me. And I like to think that I work for a company where that's true of everyone, and I haven't really found that many uh, exceptions to that scenario, so I'm going to go with it. (laughs) So I start from this point where I know I have some opportunity to actually get people to think about the the work that they're doing Mm -hmm. as being a gateway to that kind of life-changing moment that that I experienced early on in my career. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I, I wouldn't want to become the, you know, the, the arbiter of all that is ethical in in, in technology, because um, I'm, you know, I have struggles of my own, right? I, I, I don't, I mean, I, I have things that that I still need to work on, and I I feel like that it, it's the product of a of a larger discussion. So, but but we need to have that discussion. Right? We need yeah. to keep having that discussion even when it's uncomfortable. And I, I think that that is, uh, you know, generationally the, the, the way that we sort of make sure that everybody is, is working integrally uh, then it, so that we're, so, so that these are, are not things that, that we have to constantly bring up like from scratch. I'm, I'm very mindful of your time. Um, and I just wanted to ask you if we have time for one last question. Sure, no problem. Oh, that's great. Thank you. So um, that is also about inclusion. Let me see. I, um, I'm having a hard time phrasing them, but bear with me. So um, I wanted to ask you about how do you um, how do you move from um, ideological um, statements to actually action? How do you make that critical leap? Um, um, and how do you kind of start judging your own actions and get them to kind of align better to your intentions and to your ideological intentions? I, I think. Um, a lot of us have, you know, are, are lucky if we've, you know, if, if we're, especially if we're white, uh, you know, being male, uh, being straight, being middle class, at least to even understand if one of those things were, were taken away, mm. what the, the, the consequences of, of that would be. Uh, and I've seen sort of time and time again, these you see it on like the these like social media like these viral posts where it's like so and so or or something that's like published in the New York Times or something where it's like so and so says you can save a million dollars in the you know in the next three years by doing these by, by doing these things and it's it's supposedly like this person just says like well I just bootstrapped like I just did this all on my own and then they and then like within the third paragraph they're like oh I just lived in the in in the condo that my parents owned and li- and I lived there rent free and you're like do you understand what kinds of like social fabric carried you to this destination yeah. Yeah. right that because if you just go into this saying like the, th- the things that would work for me would work for, for everyone else you're not going to do it like you're not you're never going to to, to make that yeah. and it has to it goes all the way back to sort of our our own sort of mythology uh americans i think especially that that we are the like we're the builders and we we have we've created all of uh, all of this uh and it it gives us the ability to uh, absolve ourselves or erase the the actual history in which we exploited 
basically everyone else in order to do the work for us, right? So uh, there are there are workshops that are going on sort of around the United States that uh, that where we are dealing with that sort of racial inequity mm. uh, that there are that, that there are workshop leaders that are going from city to city and just sort of talking about like white allyship yeah. like how do you like first off you need to like understand aspects of like the lgbtq community and the fact that uh you know a a huge percentage especially i mean of of trans kids have spent time on the street because they were kicked out by their families right something that that the most of us would never that that would never consider but they start from nothing right they 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 end up i mean they're they're on the street with without a penny anything that they've done from from that point you can you can say is a testament to you know to, to them individually but to understand that that a lot of them start from a deep hole Right, they they don't start from like, well, I made it from prep school to my freshman year at Harvard. Like yeah. anybody can do it, you know. Uh, to understand those layers of privilege from the perspective of somebody that never had them mm-hmm. is just something that we don't get to live ourselves if we've had it. Yeah. Uh, and and we probably didn't go to uh, you know we, we didn't go to school learning that and you know learning that either. So there is a, there is an aspect of it where we need to we need to go back mm-hmm. to where we started and we need to think about uh, not just, that this is, uh, you know, that that this is at you know sort of that it's more vulgar. Like the it's it's not the color of somebody's skin that that made them that, that made them different. It's this like layering mm. of 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 oppression that's happened sometimes in their lifetime and sometimes their parents and their grandparents and the rest of their their, their fabric that that has has led to this. And if we're going to destroy it, it actually requires us to do some work mm-hmm. and us to not get credit for, for it. Right. Like I think we, you and, uh, and when you go in as somebody, you know, of a different race, you know, gender, somebody's LGBTQ, uh, somebody that has a disability and you go, you go into the space that you're nominally invited to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, uh, you feel like this might be an opportunity for me to talk about things from my perspective, and then you just get the mm-hmm. the same that that same yeah. cultural conditioning put back on to you. Yeah. It's like getting knifed twice, yeah, right? Like totally. it, and and so you know, uh, I I think there has to be some sense of humil uh, of humility, mm-hmm. some sense of responsibility, like among people of higher socioeconomic status. Uh, some you know some sense that if we're ever going to get any better at this, we can't just discount the lived experiences of the, uh, of the people who didn't have that status. Um, you know, and to a certain extent we have to, we have to get used to the, to, to the concept that there are people that deserve it better, like deserve it more than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like to deserve to deserve to be where, where we are because, they do have to work harder. They do have to, you know, they, they do have to endure things that we, that we don't. Uh, and, and that is, so, you know, that is something that, uh, you know, it, it's, if you want to just sort of take, uh, you know, like sort of hold your breath 
and uh, and say like, "All oh, right, I'm going to be a good ally, and I'm going to go to this thing," and then and then sort of subject people to the same kind of uh, like uh, of environment that they expect white people to be giving them, mm-hmm. you know, that they expect men to be giving them, uh, then um, you know. You know, so is it, it like, are you doing this so that you can feel better about yourself mm. or are you doing this so that you can make the world a better place? Um, that's, that is a question that I'm sure everybody will be really happy to say, yes, I am the, like, I'm the good person that's going to make this, th- this all better. But in order for you to do that, you need to jump into places that are outside of your comfort zone yeah. and you need to hear things that you don't like to hear. Mm. Um, that may not be a hundred percent accurate from your perspective, but if you go home and have sort of the long dark night of the soul, uh, <laughs> you you know you will realize that it's tr- that it's truer than, than than you want to admit. Yeah. Uh, and you know uh, if you are uh, if you think about it in in the terms of addiction, like you have to hit rock bottom. Right, you have to actually understand the damage that you have that that, that you have created, mm-hmm. in order for yourself to be in a position to build back up. Yeah. Um, it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary. necessary. And mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, which isn't to say that I'm going to walk into every every room and sort of destroy people, but I want to, like. I want to hit them like at, at the at the first layer where I know that the next that the next step that they're going to do is going to get us out of the hole rather than further in, yeah. right? So, uh, you know, that's just expediency uh, on my part. But there is a there's a much broader uh, scope of work that needs that that needs to be done, and it sort of starts with with our own uh, with our own individual and cultural and subcultural histories yeah and also you know trusting in people right and in their ability to do that long dark night of the soul and yeah and suspend like that type of judgment that comes oh you're doing this because you are ignorant or you don't want to be better or so yeah and and i there there's kind of like the cultural awareness reader now at least in in technology Mm -hmm. so um there, there let's see the books uh automated inequality um, the uh, the uh, was algorithms of oh, I'm gonna forget that this is what happens when I algorithms of oppression. Okay, awesome. Uh, uh, Sophia Noble, um, uh, Brotopia. Uh, you know, there there are a lot of of books that are that are coming out that are describing what is happening from the perspective of, you know, an African-American woman from, you know, a, a white woman in technology from, you know, that from, you know, the one, the, the, the one thing that I'm, that, that I'm waiting for is the, is from uh, the, the perspectives of disabled people. Like that, that is, that, that is the one that I haven't seen on the bookshelf yet, but we need to, we, we need to reconcile those voices because they haven't been, a part of the uh, of the the cultural uh, the, the culture the cultural narrative mm. uh, for for all this time we need to we need to reconcile that yeah. so um, I think there need, there's there's room for a lot more of those discussions to take place yeah I'm I'm gonna put all the links that you were mentioning in the description of the episode so that our listeners can go check those books out um, thank you so much for being with us today great thank you yeah. for having me. 
Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.